So the plan for today is continuing our lower urinary tract disease theme to talk about the most common cause of lower urinary tract disease in cats, which is a condition called idiopathic cystitis. And what I'm going to do in this session is spend a little bit of time talking about, firstly, what does this term mean? What do we understand about this condition? How is it diagnosed? Um, how does it typically present? So what clues of this condition might you see in your cats if they have it? And how is it, uh, how is it diagnosed and how is it managed? So that's our shopping list of things to look at today. And at the end, we'll have some time, as usual, for some questions. So if any of you have had uh, experiences of managing this and want to ask any questions, then obviously I'd be delighted to take those. So firstly, let's look at the definition. What is idiopathic cystitis? And I love this quote here, which is actually from a, a fictional character you may know, uh, Dr. Gregory House from the TV series House. His definition of idiopathic was uh, meaning we're idiots because we can't figure out what's causing it. The official medical definition would be cause unknown. So the end result is the same. Unfortunately, if we give any medical condition this label idiopathic, all that means is we still don't fully understand what has caused this condition. And any of you that listened to uh, the sessions on hypertension will have heard me talk about idiopathic hypertension. So it's a term that's used throughout the world of veterinary and human medicine. And it just means, unfortunately, we haven't worked out the cause. The cause is unknown. And as I've already hinted, it is in terms of idiopathic cystitis, it is the most common diagnosis, the most common cause of lower urinary tract disease. But when it comes to diagnosis, therefore, you might be thinking, well, how do we diagnose this idiopathic condition, the cause unknown condition? And the answer to that is we have to rule out everything else. So it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So if we're considering this as a possibility as clinicians, then we need to make sure that we're happy that we've ruled out to the best of our abilities, possibilities like stones, infections and tumours, for example, because uh, we can only actually diagnose this condition by ruling out all of the other known causes. So next on our shopping list of questions to answer was uh, what might you see as clues of this condition in your cat at home or how might your cat present? Now last week again we spoke about um, lower urinary tract disease in general and the sorts of clinical signs that affected cats show. So things like passing bloody urine, trying to pass urine uh, very frequently, sometimes outside the litter box with pain and difficulty. So all of those things apply to idiopathic cystitis as well. But the ways that this condition typically will present will be one of four possibilities as shown here. So some cats will just have a single episode in their life. Um, if, if you like, that might be the lucky ones with this condition that for whatever reason, it only happens that one time and they never have uh, recurrent issues. But probably more often in terms of our diagnosis of this condition would be cats that have recurrent episodes and typically an episode. So a period of time showing these lower urinary tract signs will be for a few days. So maybe two to five days of the cat showing this uh, pain and difficulty passing urine, maybe blood in the urine, uh, urinating frequently, passing very small amounts of urine. And that goes on for a few days and then it actually will get better on its own 
alone, but recurring perhaps a few weeks or maybe a few months later. That would be a typical picture. And unfortunately, because these episodes are often self-limiting, they get better on their own. In the early days, uh, so we're talking a decades ago now, when vets were trying to work out what's a good treatment for this condition, they managed to persuade themselves that, that a number of treatments were effective because whether they gave antibiotics or anti-inflammatories or painkillers, the cats did get better. But uh, one very well constructed study um, actually included very sensibly the no treatment option which is the most painful one to consider of course as a carer and as a clinician but basically they showed that no treatment the cats got better at the same speed of recovery as those that had had any of the other treatments so therefore we now we're starting to see well unfortunately this is a condition that sort of runs its course able to hasten a recovery unfortunately which doesn't mean not to treat it just means that unfortunately probably for many cases the treatment whether it's painkillers or, or otherwise may not actually impact on how quickly the cat's going to recover from that condition some very unlucky cats will have persistent clinical signs so what I mean by this is the cat that rather than having a few days or of uh, bad signs and then everything is okay for another month or two these poor cats just all the time will show lower urinary tract signs which of course is very distressing and then for male cats another possibility which we talked a little bit about last week was urethral obstruction blocking of the urethra which is the tube from the bladder to the outside so the cat now is unable to pass urine at all and this is very definitely a life-threatening emergency that needs to be acted on very quickly because it, it can unfortunately be rapidly fatal. So obstruction in cats with FIC can occur um, partly due to spasm or could be just spasm in, in some cats, but in other cats they can get these, uh, again we mentioned the last week, these things called urethral plugs, which are accumulations of protein and mucus and crystals which can, can block up the urethra and that too is thought to be one manifestation of this idiopathic cystitis. So those are the ways that, that cats may present with this condition. And next we'll talk a little bit about what we know about the cause of this condition because although it's idiopathic actually a lot of research has been done and uh, particularly by um, Professor Tony Buffington at Ohio State University and his colleagues and, and uh, many of them have done really fabulous work to try and understand this condition and I'll spend just a few minutes talking about what is known so far. Oh, I just see we have someone who's... Uh, not muted let me see if I can just resolve that I think that's okay um, so what causes FIC well it, it's certainly a complicated picture one of those uh, situations where many factors are interacting to result in that end result of a cat that is is having painful difficult urination and the interaction is thought to involve not only the urinary system but also the nervous system and the endocrine system the hormonal system in in the body and the cat's environment so um, the, all of these things are interacting in certain susceptible cats to lead to these uh, clinical signs that we see as carers and as vets and in fact uh, genetics and early life bad experiences are also thought to be very important because that's a time when the nervous system and the hormonal system are developing so if there are problems at that stage of life whether this is a kitten who is 
orphaned, their mother dies, for example, and their hand reared, or whether the mother had a very stressful pregnancy, that can affect development of uh, their nervous system, their hormonal system, um, and uh, increase their risk of developing this as a condition later in life. People have looked at um, a number of um, uh, risk factors for um, idiopathic cystitis, and that's interesting just to include at this point as well. What you'll see if, as you glance down this list is that there are some seemingly contradictory risk factors on here. So we've got the single cat and we've also got the multi-cat household. But a common vein flowing through this, which we'll come back to more and more, is actually stress in cats. So this is why more recently um, some clinicians have started to talk about idiopathic cystitis as being a stress cystitis. And some indoor only cats living on their own, um, if they're on their own all day and, and perhaps their owner works long hours and their environment is not what we would call very enriched, you know, there's maybe not much for them to do. That can be quite uh, anxiety inducing for them. Similarly, cats that are on multi-cat households that don't get on with each other, that also can cause anxiety. So this is a, a thread we'll come back to in just a moment. And Tony Buffington and his colleagues also in the last decade um, have come up with this term for cats suffering from idiopathic cystitis or many cats suffering from uh, idiopathic cystitis, which you may read. Um, and this is this term Pandora syndrome. And uh, you may have heard the um, uh, I think it's a Greek mythology story about Pandora's box or Pandora, Pandora's casket where all the evils of the world were let out when that was open and it's a catch-all term really for this syndrome where in actual fact it's not just the bladder that is affected in these cats but the hypothesis is actually that this complex interaction between the cat's genetics and its environments, its upbringing that affects its uh, development of its nervous system and hormonal system leaves the cat vulnerable to stress and vulnerable in a way that another, another cat that was completely healthy would be fine coping with whatever stresses um, come its way and life as we know for ourselves as well as our cats you know there are always little stresses thrown in there but these cats with Pandora syndrome because of their genetics and their the altered uh, development of their nervous and hormonal system are particularly vulnerable to stress but the end result of that is not just cystitis it's not just lower urinary tract signs but often these cats in fact if you look more closely have other manifestations um, of uh, um, stress that are causing other clinical signs and so that might be that they overgroom. some cats will overeat, um, they may have uh, other systemic signs, GI is our abbreviation for gastrointestinal signs, so things like vomiting, sickness, uh, poor appetite as well as, as overeating. So the, the hypothesis is essentially that these cats with Pandora sy syndrome, the idiopathic cystitis is just a component of a more generalized problem and it's just the way that the bladder is showing its stress is, is sort of dealing with its stress and so this is a if we want to define this situation further then what we need to show in a patient is that this is long term as a problem so it's chronic as a problem it's either persisting or recurring over months or years and as well as the bladder signs there are other signs that the cat is is not completely happy and that these signs typically are worse when the cat is stressed but if the cat's in a positive environment where it feels safe and reassured actually all of those signs of low urinary tract disease and other Pandora signs can completely disappear. 
And typically in line with that as well, there are other clues of um, uh, uh, what I would call an early adverse experience, uh, as hinted at earlier on, those cats that perhaps lost their mother as a, as a very young kitten, or perhaps their mother was very stressed when she was pregnant and it affected the development of their nervous and hormonal system at that time. So all these factors are feeding in and the end result is that what we would loosely call the stress response system, the ability of the cat to cope with stress is damaged. And as a consequence of that, these cats, when they're stressed, will show clinical signs of illness. And that typically includes lower urinary tract signs, what we would call this idiopathic cystitis. So very, very um, also um, uh, simplified to, to a, a massive degree would be this sequence of photos where we have a cat that is susceptible. So um, this cat is okay if it's not stressed, it doesn't have any urinary tract signs, but perhaps if we do stress it, and I've just added in a small child and, and a dog to be just you know, some examples of stressors in a household. For that susceptible cat, that could be enough to trigger an episode of idiopathic cystitis. So that might be for those of you perhaps who have grandchildren, when the grandchildren visit, the cat's very stressed. Um, but it may, there may be other scenarios that are associated with stress that you might recognise in your home. And that would be the very, very simplistic sort of overview of what's going on in these cats. And there are lots and lots of things that can stress out cats. And I'll again show some examples of that in just a second. But key things really are often what we would call chronic stresses. So things that go on for a long period of time and things that the cat can't get away from. So if the cat feels it has no escape from whatever is stressing it out, then that is extremely stressful. So that might include a new baby in the household, for example, or a new cat in the household, for example. And this cat on the right hand side, just, just for illustration, this is a cat at, at a vet clinic, so it's not at home. Um, and the cat's being weighed, it's, it's on the scales, but you can see this cat has its eyes closed. This is something we often see in the vet clinic. And it's not that this cat has thought, well, this is a fabulous place to have a snooze. I think I'll just go to sleep on the scales, uh, which might be one interpretation. If you look very closely at the cat, you'll see it looks very tense. And although it's got its eyes closed, its ear position, its body posture is quite tense and ready to leap into action. And this cat is actually hiding, trying to hide by closing its eyes from a stressful environment, which is unfortunately the vet clinic. Um, and uh, so it, it, this is something that uh, if if you do see your cat do this at the clinic unfortunately it means your cat is trying to cope with the stress by pretending it's not there. So just a few examples of stress um, for you to, to look over and if you do want a copy of these slides just uh, email and, and we can send you the PDF so uh, if you're wanting to take notes uh, I won't leave you enough time to write this all down now but do feel free to get in touch we can send those to you um, but anything really that you think might cause stress in your cat um, should be added to this list if it's not already on it. So again, um, a video here that may not completely play smoothly over the internet, depending on how we're doing this afternoon. But um, this is um, this is one of my friends and her cat in her garden, um, and this is in Edinburgh where we both live. And the weather is not this bad today, although it's definitely not blisteringly hot either. But um, this cat has gone out in the snow, and uh, it soon becomes apparent this cat is desperately trying to find somewhere 
to go to the loo to, to urinate and you can see the cat is trying to sort of crouch down a bit and thinking well um, I don't see much snow uh, in Edinburgh perhaps you know this cat's not seen snow before and it's not very happy to squat and urinate on the snow so it, uh, it sort of starts to position and then obviously decides this is not much fun and eventually actually it does uh, pass urine and all is all is well but the key message for this would be of course this cat um, it would in my opinion, in many ways, be entirely justified if it decided, well, I'm not going to go to the loo in the snow. If I haven't got a litter box in my house, then I'll just have to find the best possible option in the house. That might be someone's bed or it might be a bit of carpet. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, the, the message from this video was to say to my friend, look, you need a litter box. When the weather is bad, um, your cat needs somewhere suitable to go. So how do we recognise stress in cats at home? Well, it's not always easy, um, but if you do have multiple cats in your household and if any of them do develop uh, urinary problems that are diagnosed as idiopathic cystitis, then it's useful to look at those cats closely and how they interact and try and work out, um, for example, uh, in your multiple cat household, how many social groups of cats do you have? And social groups of cats are groups of cats that, that are happy with each other. So the sort of best friend cats um, in the household and to do that um, a useful exercise is to um, firstly explain to you what to look out for in your cats and secondly to then observe your cats for these behaviours. So I've put a green box around these behaviours. These are what we would call affiliative behaviours. These are positive friendly behaviours that cats might show towards each other. So they include sharing food bowls, uh, sleeping touching each other, grooming each other, rubbing each other, um, nose to nose greetings, playing together um, and lastly this uh, chirruping noise that cats will often greet each other with this sort of brrrp noise that uh, when they see each other or when they see ourselves they sometimes do this as well. So that's all positive, that's sort of tending to say I like you. On the other hand we have situations where of course cats don't get on and a key take-home message from this is that often actually if cats don't like each other it's not very obvious then they're not going to fight with each other every day because fighting is potentially going to hurt them uh, expend a lot of energy so they're going to find ways of dealing with it and that might be just avoiding each other so if one cat can be upstairs most of the time and one is downstairs most of the time uh, or they can work out with each other which times of day they're in which areas then they'll do that they might choose to, um, if they don't like someone, block their access to some resources in the household, like a food bowl or a litter tray. Um, they occasionally might hiss or growl, but often that doesn't happen very often. Um, and even less often would be actually lashing out or, or fighting at all. So again, the key message is that often if there is disharmony, it's very subtle. You need to look quite carefully. So having understood what to look for if you've got a multiple cat household and you're wanting to understand well how many social groups of cats do I have in my household the next useful thing to do is to write their names down on a piece of paper and observe them and when you see positive affiliative behavior shown from one cat to another you draw an arrow and I've shown an arrow in green in this example so Twizzle nudged Sooty um, so that was an, uh, a nice green arrow and Sooty groomed Twizzle so that's an, a green arrow going back from Sooty to Twizzle um, unfortunately Hobie who was the newcomer to the household didn't get any love from Sooty or Twizzle 
but also gave negative vibes to both of them. So in this household of three cats, we've got two social groups, Sooty and Twizzle, happy with each other, love each other, get on fine, Hobie is on his own. So we need to make sure we have enough resources in our house so that it's not possible for Hobie to prevent Sooty and Twizzle from accessing resources or vice versa. And just pictorially, some examples would be on this slide. So the cats that love each other, having that lovely cuddle and groom on the sofa, they're in the same social group. But on the right hand side, these cats, although they're quite close together, it was a very busy household with lots of cats. You can see they're sort of all looking in a different direction. Um, they're perhaps trying to pretend they're not in the same airspace as each other. They're not particularly best buddies. Another useful resource, which I won't let play in full, but this is a, a video which um, the UK charity Cats Protection did. And if you search Cats Protection, friend or foe, you will find this video. And it just goes through what to look for as uh, exactly as I've explained actually, in terms of signs that cats uh, are friends versus signs that they're perhaps not friends. And uh, the video finishes off with some advice on how to provide resources in such a way um, that everybody is happy and it's uh, it's probably just a couple of minutes long as a video but as I say I won't, won't play it for you now. So back to how, how do we manage uh, idiopathic cystitis now? Well as I said very earlier on in, in this presentation we often find that cats have these self-limiting episodes so if your cat is in that category um, you know typically they will have signs for maybe one two three four five days and then it will get better. And as I mentioned earlier on, there has been some research that has shown that, you know, it does almost doesn't matter what treatment you give them, they, they will uh, get better. Um, however, many clinicians and obviously many owners, when their cat is in distress in an episode, would, would want to do something rather than nothing. And certainly giving painkillers is, I think, a nice thing to give to a cat when it seems to be uncomfortable and distressed. Um, but more importantly would be those cats, that obviously, that have any evidence of urethral obstruction the blocked cats they definitely need the emergency management which might include um, antispasmodics uh, medications that relax the muscle of the urethra to allow urine to pass through um, and or catheterization if there is a, a urethral plug for example then we need to move into the chronic or the long-term management and the important thing here is wanting to uh, minimise the risk of future episodes where at all possible. And the steps that I tend to follow for these sort of cases would be uh, the ones that are listed on this slide. So looking at the home and the environment, what can we find about that that gives us a clue of perhaps stressful things? And if there are stressful things that we can find, perhaps we can sort them out. So maybe the cat's litter box is in a very noisy or busy part of the home and it finds it quite stressful using that litter box there. Or uh, it's in a conservatory where the cat next door likes sitting outside and watching the cat and that that's is stressful for it so those sorts of things can be helpful um, increasing water intake is also um, thought to be very helpful for managing this condition and many other urinary conditions so that in fact is what we're going to talk about next week I won't talk about that at all today there are some dietary considerations which I'll, I'll briefly mention as well um, and then for those cats where we still haven't really succeeded there, there are some other medications that we can try 
and in general the principles for these cases is from a stress perspective to minimize vet visits as well so these are cases where I like to have close contact with the carer over the phone over the internet to discuss progress rather than wanting the cat to come into the clinic too often because stress coming into a clinic could potentially uh, precipitate an episode as well. So in terms of the, the first step, looking at the household and the home environment and, and stress there, um, the uh, strategy that this is part of is one that is called MIMO, which stands for Multimodal environmental modification and this was a term coined by Professor Tony Buffington who I mentioned earlier on who's uh, very much a, a, a guru in uh, idiopathic cystitis has done a lot of work and he published a paper about 15 years ago now where he followed this strategy with really really severely affected cats cats where the owners were sadly considering euthanasia because the cats were so suffering so badly from this condition and uh, it had thus far been so difficult to manage them and uh, so they embarked on this very detailed plan which really involved him educating the owners about the condition in the same sort of way that I've, I've spoken about it today and really empowering them to make changes in the household which might benefit the cat in terms of its stress levels and also understanding things not to do like of course not to punish a cat if it urinates outside a litter box for example we don't want to increase the stress um, and increasing the cat's water intake was part of the plan as well and what he found was that if you do really focus in on this and you follow this strategy and it's also out outlined in detail in uh, a book that uh, I wrote with Professor Danielle Gunmore uh, which is available on the website and there's a, a picture of the book cover there for you as well and what he found is that if you follow that strategy actually even with these really really severely affected cats he was able to cure almost three quarters of them and the remaining 25% were very much improved to the, to the extent where no longer was it necessary to think about euthanasia so really fabulous results but it does take a lot of hard work and the first step is to look in the cat's environment try and work out how can we de-stress life for the cat um, and uh, particularly multi-cat households it can be challenging so this is another photo from the same household I showed you um, a photo a few slides ago the cats in not in the same social group you can see it's a pretty busy household there are a lot of cats and it is quite difficult to have a lot of cats in a small space and them all to be quite happy with each other so actually it may be sensible in some situations to even think about rehoming to friends and family to try and cut down the number of cats if you're in this sort of uh, situation um, and looking at the environment in general really to try and find ways of, of de-stressing things as best as possible. Also sometimes it can be helpful um, as a carer to be aware of, of um, what I would call um, prodromal signs, um, particularly those cats that develop spasm. Um, if you can see that they look like they're coming into an episode then sometimes actually you, you can avert an episode medically so the cats that are vulnerable to spasm if you see them suddenly starting to overgroom their back end more um, as per this picture but this lovely expression the cat playing the fiddle um, then you in a cat vulnerable to spasm them giving an antispasmodic medication and perhaps some painkillers at home so again you know try and avoid that vet visit sometimes will completely completely avoid that episode from ever developing which of course is is good news not always possible but when it is possible that's great 
And then we want to look at the social groups and resources. So as we talked about a little bit earlier on, uh, if you've got multiple cats trying to work out well are they friends can they share things or do I need to make sure that I've got more resources than that in the house so make sure one cat can't block access to any of those key resources um, for another cat and the key resources as listed on this slide include things like food and water rest areas hiding areas uh, litter boxes scratching posts and, and toys and things as well <clears throat> We'll talk more about litter boxes in the in two weeks time when uh, there's a presentation about periuria uh, urination outside the litter box um, but just very briefly here of course it is relevant to these cases as well so um, in general the cat's preference for a, a litter tray is firstly that it's big in size um, ideally one and a half times the length of the cat if you measure it from their nose to the base of their tail so generous in size so they can get in it move around quite happily um, and there are thankfully some good big litter trays available these days. Cats tend to prefer a sandy consistency litter and a clumping litter is often good because it's easy to keep clean but also as an owner then you know exactly what your cat is passing and so if you can see one day oh gosh my cat hasn't urinated you know about it very quickly which is great. Feliway also you will probably have uh, used Feliway yourselves um, and I'm sure have some experience at least uh, of the Feliway classic which is the original Feliway um, and this can be of some help I think it's not on its own it's not going to cure the cat but as part of um, an overall approach to reduce stress and provide reassurance to the cat it can be very helpful. Um, for those of you that are less familiar with Feliway it contains a synthetic feline pheromone and the pheromone is this uh, chemical which we can't smell but cats can smell and they produce it in their cheek glands and when they rub on your legs or on the wall or on each other they're rubbing this pheromone onto surfaces and that's saying yeah I feel okay here this is a nice place I feel calm I feel reassured and we can get Feliway in this synthetic form as a diffuser which you plug in uh, as per the picture and uh, you can refill it it lasts about a month and then you need to change it um, there is also a Feliway spray which mustn't be used directly on the cat but is quite helpful for your cat carrier before you put your cat in it to go to the vet clinic and will also help to reduce their stress levels. More recently, um, Siva, the company that developed Feliway, have developed a new product called Feliway Friends. And this can be very helpful in multi-cat households where there is tension between cats. And it's uh, called the Harmony uh, Marker or Harmony Pheromone. It's produced in a natural situation by the mammary area of the mother cat. So that when the baby cats are all having their milk, uh, they're not thinking about fighting with each other. So it helps to just ease any tension and conflict between cats in the same house and it, it definitely can be helpful again as part of a picture. Water intake I mentioned but we'll talk about that next week so no more on that now. Other dietary considerations? Well in general terms we of course want to uh, minimise the possibility of obesity that's one of the risk factors for this condition and, and is risky for other health issues in our cats so that may be if feature but from an idiopathic cystitis perspective again other key things would be wet food where possible because we want to encourage that water 
water intake, that fluid intake, as we'll talk about next week. Um, and we want to also consider um, boredom in cats that are indoor only. So um, the reason to put in the, the Doc and Phoebe hunting kit there is just an example. There are lots and lots of different examples, but of an interactive way of feeding cats. So rather than just leaving a bowl full of dry food, uh, if your cat does like their dry food perhaps make it a little bit more interesting by hiding the food in these little mice that the cat can play with and it perhaps takes longer and occupies more of their time and provides them with some something to do through the day which uh, uh, can be uh, interesting for them as well. There are some therapeutic diets, some uh, what you might call a prescription diet uh, for urinary problems in cats. And some of these are aimed at cats with idiopathic cystitis as well. Um, I've just got two pictures here, but there are more than, than I have included here and not uh, displaying any sort of uh, allegiances to companies, but just uh, to uh, show you some examples. And some of these diets are orientated uh, primarily at urinary tract health, so minimizing stone formation tend to have extra glycosaminoglycans, which are uh, proteins found lining the bladder, although it has to be said there's still controversy as to really how effective that might be as part of the management of uh, low urinary tract disease in cats. But also more recently, uh, many of these uh, diets have included a, a sort of stress or anxiety alleviating component. So you may have heard, for example, of Royal Canin's Calm Diet, um, Hill's CD Stress Diet, um, and both of these contain nutritional supplements that, that actually have uh, an effect on stress in cats. So um, uh, the um, L-tryptophan as listed on this slide interacts uh, with the serotonin uh, re receptors so has sort of similar happy feelings as a result of that. Uh, milk hydrolysate, alpha-casosabine uh, interacts with one of the GABA receptors so again can have anxiety alleviating impact. We need to again think about these things as part of a bigger component of our management so we don't want to feed a calm diet to a really stressful household and do nothing else about the stress it's obviously part of the picture um, but certainly I, I have anecdotally lots of, of uh, owners who really think that these diets have helped their cats and helped their idiopathic cystitis going forwards certainly as well if you have a cat that really is a dry food addict will not eat a wet diet um, then uh, and it has idiopathic cystitis then of all the dry diets to give it, I would be more inclined to use a therapeutic diet with these sort of beneficial effects. I think there is a justification for that. And in most of the cats that we see, all of those strategies that I've covered so far are sufficient to, to get you a good resolution of clinical signs. There are some cats where still, in spite of doing all of this, we have recurrence, we have problems. And other options to consider um, might be if you're not using a diet that's suppl supplemented in those glycosaminoglycans, you can use uh, those as very definite supplements. Um, so things like cysteines would be in that category. There are also, um, you can have uh, L-tryptophan as a, a supplement and that alpha casosapine, those anxiety relieving uh, nutritional supplements I mentioned in the diets, they can, you can administer those orally as well. There are capsules available for those. And there are what I would call bigger gun drugs as well, um, which are not licensed. So they're not veterinary authorized for this use in cats. They are either authorized for other species. So that clomipramine um, is uh, an example of um, a medication which is licensed for dogs. 
um, and uh, it falls into this sort of uh, more antidepressant category um, but it is a big it's a big gun to, to use and so we try not to uh, go down that pathway if we can possibly avoid it but certainly those options are available for those very very refractory cases so in summary it definitely can be a challenging condition to treat some poor cats just i think are very vulnerable um, and really struggle with this condition um, and often it's the environment is really the key thing to focus on looking at that cat and and its behavior and trying to support it so it feels reassured and safe but also able to escape from you and or other animals in the house uh, whenever it wants to as part of its sort of stress um, stress management stress coping mechanisms um, and often you can get good results but it does take hard work sometimes to find what works and what doesn't work in that individual cat water intake definitely a key part we'll talk about that next week as i've, I've said um, and a small number of cats where we do need to try bigger medications to to see if we can help them and probably the last thing that i would mention as a strategy is again in some of those very very severely affected cases if we can't provide resolution in the, the home that they're in then actually sometimes it is worth considering rehoming to a different household for example you know you you if you have cats that don't get on and you've provided a, a massive resources to try and make life possible for them to live alongside each other in harmony but it just isn't working then sometimes the kindest thing is to try and find a different home and testing that out with a with a friend or a relative that has no animals can be a useful first step um, so if you do a temporary rehome to, to them and if all the signs of, of low urinary tract disease disappear then you know well this is something that might work as a long term it's, that's going to be a difficult thing for, for many people to uh, cope with because you never want to say goodbye to a cat that you love but sometimes unfortunately it, it is necessary. So I hope that has been helpful um, and I've, I've um, been able to provide you with some information on this challenging condition. Um, again just a reminder of some of the other resources that are um, available through the website and don't forget the other uh, cat cafe sessions that uh, have already been recorded as well as future ones coming up. We've now got a page um, accessible via the video tutorial page on the website where you can see the, the full timetable of what's coming up and obviously I'll add more to that. I think it it just goes up till uh, probably the end of July at the moment but uh, more topics to be added and if you do have suggestions please feel free to send them through and also again if you uh, if you want a copy of the slides again just send an email requesting that and we'll be able to do that thank you very much